All right, today our uh, chapter is Romans chapter 9, whereas the last chapter for many is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, this chapter for many is one of the most <laughs> difficult chapters in the Bible. Uh, I'll certainly share that sentiment. Uh, nevertheless, there are rich and humbling truths to be found in Romans 9, and we want to consider some of them together. Uh, first, this chapter begins with a really astonishing statement from Paul in verse 2. He confesses that he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. Why? Because his own people, the Israelites, have not, on the whole, come to saving faith in the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ. The astonishing statement comes in verse 3 when he actually says, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Wow. Paul is saying that if his own being cut off from salvation in Christ and eternal condemnation would result in a mass turning to Christ among the Jews, he would gladly do it. I simply cannot get my mind around such a statement. But why is he so incredibly saddened at the rejection among the Jews? Well, he begins to answer that question in verses 4 and 5. And what he does in those verses is lay out all the advantages the Jews had always had to recognize the Messiah when he came so that they might believe in him and be saved. And he says in verse 4, to them belong the adoption, namely, they out of all the nations on earth were the adopted people of God. They had the adoption, the glory. What that means is they, out of all the nations on earth, had seen with their own eyes the Lord himself work on their behalf. To them belong the covenants, he says. That is, with them, out of all the nations on the earth, God had entered into a relationship in, in order to to be their God, and they would be his people. To them belong the giving of the law, that is, they alone, out of all the nations of the earth, had God's will actually written down for them. To them belong the worship, that is, God had given to them alone how they were to come to him and worship, while the forms of worship given to them uh, all pointed forward to the Christ who was to come. And to them belong the promises that is, all the reassurances that God would be faithful to his word and bring them to salvation. And fi finally, in, Paul, in verse 5, Paul reminds them that God was not going to leave them guessing as to where the Savior would come from. I mean, he says he would come from their own race. He would be a descendant of the patriarchs just as they were. In other words, they of all people on earth had been given every single advantage for, for when that salvation came, uh, as God had promised to see it and to believe it. And as Jesus taught, from everyone who has received much, much will be required and expected. The Jews had been given much, and much was expected from them when the Messiah came, but contrary to expectations, they by and large rejected Jesus. It grieved Paul deeply. What, what we can glean from this is that we, in many respects as they were, have been getting, given incredible advantages God has given us freedom unparalleled in the history of the world. And we have every spiritual advantage at our fingertips. There are churches on seemingly every corner and more being planted in places where there are already many churches, unfortunately. We have bookshelves filled with Bibles. Like them, much is also required and expected of us. How will we respond to the gracious advantages with which the Lord has blessed us? Secondly, let's say something about the hardening that is mentioned in chapter 9 of Romans. Some of the most difficult parts of this chapter revolve around the issue of hardening that appears several times, most notably 
Paul says in verse 18, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. What about this hardening? How can we understand uh, what, he, what he's talking about? We need to begin by acknowledging that there are some things that we cannot or will not understand fully until glory. But that is not the same as saying we can't understand anything about it here and now. There are some things um, that we can say about it, and we need to think very carefully about it. And sometimes it's just a hard truth that we need to, we need to uh, by faith, acknowledge and accept because it comes from the mouth of God. Because sometimes verses are hard because we just don't understand what it's saying. Other verses are hard precisely because we do understand what it's saying. And this is one of those. When Paul mentions this idea of God's hardening of individuals, he does uh, introduce Pharaoh as an illustration. In Exodus, God hardened Pharaoh's heart for a time uh, so that he would not listen to Moses, uh, would not let the Israelites go free, and would thus provide the forum for God to demonstrate his power and authority over Pharaoh. This is exactly Paul's point when he quotes Exodus 9.16 in Romans 9.17. Furthermore, if you read the Exodus account carefully, because uh, some, some people say, well, Pharaoh hardened his heart first, and then God, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, if you read Exodus carefully, uh, you will see that the Lord promises to harden Pharaoh's heart before a, uh, Pharaoh ever hardens his own heart. You see that in Exodus 4.21. But even within Romans, and even within this very chapter in Romans, we know that this is not always the way God's hardening happens. In the case of Pharaoh of Egypt, God's hardening was more proactive. But even within Romans, there is a hardening that is more reactive and judicial in nature. Consider for a moment what we read in Romans 1. In that chapter, we read about the conscious disobedience and rebellion against God from all, from all people, even though they know deep within their hearts that God exists and that, that we owe honor and obedience to him. That was Romans 1, 18 and following. But because of our continued and intentional rebellion, what does that chapter say has happened as a result? Three times we read the phrase, God gave them up. Romans 1, 24, 26, 28. God gave them up. What does that mean? To put it differently, he hardened their hearts in, the judgment, in his judgment against their, their persistent rebellion. He let them go their own way. He let them have exactly what they wanted. And as we come to Romans 9, it is entirely possible that it is also, I'm not saying uh, rather than, but maybe a both and, this kind of hardening that is in view. We said in the first point that the Jews had been given every advantage to know God, to know his will, to know the Messiah when he came. Instead of recognizing him when he came and coming to him for salvation, they rejected him to go their own way. It is on the heels of this revelation that Paul introduces the idea of hardening before declaring that God would now be turning to the Gentiles in verses 24 and 26. The hardening appears in part to be a judicial response to their rejection of the Messiah. It is how God has determined to carry out his sentence against them. Let's think finally, though, about uh, the issue of justice or injustice. Paul knows that among people, um, these truths will elicit cries of unfairness. Uh, how is it fair of God to harden people's hearts like this? 
It's why he asks in verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Some will say that this hardening is not only unfair, but unjust as well. Paul vehemently rejects this notion, and he's exactly right. The truth of the matter is, when each person stands before the Lord on the final day, they will be the recipients of either justice or mercy. R.C. Sproul was famous for putting it in this fashion. Everyone will either receive justice or mercy. No one will receive injustice. Consider again what Paul said in Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And that's everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. Learn that in Romans 2. Those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. God owes salvation to no one. We rebelled against him. He is not obligated to be merciful. So there are only two possible outcomes when we stand before God. Justice for those who are outside of Christ or mercy for those who are in Christ. No one will receive injustice. And so hopefully some of those things are helpful to think through the thorny issues we find in Romans chapter 9.